everybody, Matt Johnson here, the creator and director of New Frequency, welcoming you to another episode of our wonderful podcast. Here we are into the holiday season, and tonight's program is a Christmas noir for you. A Christmas noir? Come on, how, it, it can't get better than that. It is called They Tell Me You Are Crooked. Joining me to introduce it is the star of the piece. Here he is, the wonderful Larry Morgan. Hey, everybody. He's crooked himself. Hey, happy holidays, and mugs. There he is. There yeah. he is. Oh. Larry and I have been so fortunate to be able to do so many projects together over the years. A couple of Texas boys here. But <laughs> Larry, talk about this piece. I mean, you're essentially Private Eye Donald Davies, 1946 Chicago. Get involved in murder and mayhem after a woman is found dead in a hotel room with Santa. I yeah, mean, it's got everything <laughs> yeah, I love, which is the hard boiled detective, that noir setting. It's yeah. Christmas time, it's dark. It's snowy, it's cold, right. there's circus freaks, there's murder. Uh, uh, spoiler alert, am I giving away too much? Hey, it's noir. If we don't have, if, if we don't have like murder, you know, like a snappy dame, some quick dialogue, yeah. Uh, yeah, and some great music, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to not, not be hitting noir out of the park. But this one, I think we really hit out of the park. And I think we're kind of actually missing one element. It's actually funny. It's, oh, of course. Uh, it's really funny. Yeah, it's a wonderful piece written by James Napoli, who, who, who is a great friend of ours that we've been able to do many of his pieces here in New Frequency. Talk a little bit, a little bit about creating the character of Private Eye, Donald Davies. I mean, what's it like to be able to inhabit that noir detective that everybody wants to do? Everybody wants to do those those kind of parts, right? Well, I just know that voice because I, even growing up, and maybe you were like this too, because mm-hmm. New Frequency is such a passion for you that uh, I was really into those old-time detective radio. Oh, yeah, I, had, I had albums of recordings of those old shows, oh, like sure. The Shadow and a lot of that stuff. So I'm used to hearing those kind of big, great, resonant voices, which I'm not sure I've got, but I certainly felt like I could affect that that sound. You know, mm-hmm. everybody from Bogey to any of the guys that we heard doing the old radio shows. Yeah. So it was really easy in, to drop into that guy. I'm not a huge character voice guy, really. Right. But but that guy just he just spoke to me right away. I knew the the rumpled trench coat, the fedora Absolutely. kind of askance, and uh, and just the setting really kind of set it up perfectly for me. I, I it was easy to walk into that. And James sets you up so perfectly with his like witty dialogue. It's like almost like you know he he grew up in that same cloth that you and I did. So he knows these guys well too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, with these with these great kind of witty one liners. Talk a little bit about in this piece too. One of the things that that, that was interesting and 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 hearing it again was essentially it's a very descriptive piece. I mean, you know, we were pretty ambitious in, with this piece and the fact that it is really a murder mystery that, that you're sort of solving all over Chicago. You're not just like, you know, the, the typical snappy dialogue with the dame in the in your office, which does happen. So, you know, what was it like to sort of go through what essentially is one long monologue, but it's very descriptive? Well, that's what is great about these pieces, what is great about the vintage radio shows, and yeah. I think what you guys have been able to recreate so well with the new frequency show is that it's that phrase theater of the mind which we've right. been hearing forever and James paints this beautiful picture I mean he not only creates characters that we're familiar with in terms of the archetypes or archetypes mm-hmm. or however you pronounce that word <laughs> That's right. um, but also the whole tone of it in the way it's described and the way the the characters react to each other and it does paint that picture and yeah. that was another thing about helping me kind of get in character which is the details. I mean, to me, it's just about those details. Right. And so I really 
saw a vision of this kind of cool dark world. It's in black and white. Sure. And it's it's very cold, and I think you get that feeling, and you get a sense of that city, too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I just think it, it's really laid out in a, in a beautiful way to kind of put you in that place. And Rob Eisenberg's music just takes you right yes. there. I mean, there's nothing better than that great old noir music. And, you know, Rob in this piece, which everyone will hear, is just his music is noir, but it's also kind of Christmassy, which is also what's, you know, such a brilliant part. Of it. I know it's a great balance. I actually I would like to see this uh, story told as a feature film. I, I think know. it would yeah. be a great throwback looking kind of thriller with a Christmas angle yes. and with some humor to it. Um, and I think that also makes it a little unique because I don't really know. People have tried to kind of parody th- this style right. with Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, but that was a very specific kind of yeah. um, gimmick that they used in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is really unique from that standpoint. Yeah, I think that noir itself is, I think, one time I read, it's one of the genres I think that, that America can kind of wholly claim for sort of inventing, and particularly film in particular. We're recording this in the CBS studios here in Hollywood, so all around us here within Miles is where this genre of noir sure really really blossomed and became what it was yeah it is a style that is very american even if it was influenced stylistically by some of the european cinema mm-hmm. um ultimately they ended up kind of copying the style you know yeah. Truffaut very famously uh did that very thing when he he and that and his brand of filmmakers in france kind of started to borrow some of those tropes that you see in some of the classic noir and i've actually been catching up on a lot of noir that i had never seen before sure. all of those titles escape me at the moment but you know some of the some of the maybe three star movies that aren't classics right. but are still incredibly fun to watch because they had people working on them who really set that tone the yeah. the stark shadows the there's no gray it's either bright or it's dark right. and the the detail in those shadows that's really interesting and and that's kind of what this story is is what is lurking in the shadows absolutely for a lot of people that are listening to our program we have a lot of international listeners as well check out some of the noirs we've done on New Frequency earlier this year, but also what Larry just mentioned, you know, dive into some of these film noir classics that are also in film, you know, that from, from Hollywood here. Let's let's throw out one, each throw out a favorite film noir to, to recommend. What okay. Would, what, do you, what do you think would be like one of your, your top film noirs that people should check out to get familiar with the genre? Well, I think maybe uh, one of the, I, I, there's a lot of argument about what would be the earliest or what would be the most iconic, but mm-hmm. a good place to start for me would be the Maltese Falcon, which Absolutely. not only is quintessential noir, but also kind of sets the standard for that hard-boiled detective type, which, you know, which our story definitely, you know, takes uh, from that. And there's Bogey, there's John Huston directing, there's a MacGuffin style of, you know, what the hell is this black bird people are looking for. And everybody in it, every character actor, every side character, peripheral character is clearly defined and unique and it's a great story. Absolutely. Uh, well, I'll, I'll throw out mine. Since you threw out a detective one, I'll throw out an alternate one that, that people should check out that's not necessarily detective, but still very much noir, which is Sunset Boulevard. Oh, The original yes. Billy Wilder, you know, amazing classic. A, a, a writer falls into this, you know, world of an old, you know, silent film star, Norma Desmond, and all of the craziness and murder and mystery that ensues with that. If you haven't checked out Sunset Boulevard, that's definitely one. And I would throw out 
about one that's maybe not as famous as those two, mm-hmm. but uh, certainly it, within the noir world is well respected, and that's Crisscross, oh, which yeah, is fantastic. One. Just the look of it alone. Yeah, it, even just watch the first five minutes, and you get it. Absolutely. So I think it's safe to say that you know we we're proud to follow in this genre. It's a it, it it's a tried and true genre. It was the thrill to be able to do this piece and to be able to sort of you know hold that tradition firm and with a Christmas piece no less. Yes, I can uh, hear on say that I was in a Christmas noir yes. and how many other people can say that? It's one of my proudest moments in show business. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Alright, well let's let everybody give this one a listen. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Happy holidays to you. And right back at you there, mister. Alright, everybody, enjoy this one at home. Turn it up. It's a Christmas noir for you called They Tell Me You Are Crooked. <laughs> New frequency, a theater of the mind on the air. On the air. In three. It's coming. Pretty clever. In two. Overcome by a dreadful, dreadful, dreadful curiosity. In one. New frequency. It's like nothing I have ever experienced. My name is Donald Davies, private investigator, currently a resident of Chicago, Chi-Town, the Windy City, hog butcher for the world, as Carl Sandburg once said in a poem. My office overlooks Wacker Drive, and I don't want any comments from the peanut gallery. I'm staring at the frosted glass of my office door where the letters of my name are just as cracked and hard to read backwards. It's mid-morning, December 24th, 1946. And I don't think the city needs my services today. I'm just about to pack it up when... Mr. Davies? From the looks of the silhouette standing outside my office door, I was being thrown one hell of a holiday present. Her shadow looked like a tall, upright snake that had swallowed a mongoose and let it settle in all the right places. (laughs) Come in! Mr. Davies? Mr. Donald Davies? Who wants to know? Meaning, dear God, please tell me your name. I'm Esther Prynne. Esther, huh? That's right, and you can lay off the scarlet letter jokes. I've heard them all. I'll bet you've heard a lot more than that. Sometimes I think they invented the wolf whistle just for me. What can I do you for? I mean, it's Christmas Eve. I was going to knock off early. And And do what? I don't know. Bow down and be thankful for God's blessing? I doubt that. Gee, you know me so well, and we only just met Esther. Actually, I was hoping to watch the Hourglass Christmas special tonight. It's got Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Peggy Lee, too. You can afford a television? Well, there's a bar around the corner from where I live that, uh... Take your pick, Mr. Davies. Christmas Eve in a bar with all your lonely, pitiful, drunken cronies are bowing down to being thankful for Esther Prynne's blessing. What blessing is that? I believe blessings come in green at Christmas. She threw a stack of bills on my desk that may well have killed the roach underneath them. Well, I only get $25 a day plus expenses, Esther. This is ten times that. It's worth it to me, as long as it's no questions asked. Just a minute. I gotta give this some thought. Okay. Well, lucky me. Because, frankly, I tried all the other private eyes and they were closed today. Boy, you sure know how to make a fella feel all puffed up inside. Actually, you do a good job of puffing up a fella's outside, too. I told you I've heard it all, gumshoe. She moved on me like a cat on a wadded-up ball of paper, leaping across the room and snatching me up out of my chair. Listen up. We work together. I don't need to hear any more comments about my appeal to the opposite sex, all right? Okay, okay, I get you. All right, then. Oh, Jesus, you move fast. 
Where'd you learn moves like that? I come from a circus family. <laughs> I had a million snappy comebacks for that one, but I knew that part of our relationship was over. So, my husband is having an affair. I need you to follow him and find out who he's shacking up with. You got a picture of this guy? Yes, here. Well, well, well. A picture's worth a thousand words. Now you see why I require secrecy. Esther's husband was District Attorney Adam Larson. Old money, old power. The DA is supposed to represent the people. What do you suppose the people would do if they knew what District Attorney Larson was up to? Something tells me this is about more than the few bucks you're paying me. You want to bring down an empire. What's it to you? Nothing, I guess. You don't use your husband's last name, huh? I had a career in the entertainment business before we were married. I'm a woman who likes to succeed on my own merits. <laughs> Think that'll ever catch on? Time's changed, Mr. Davies. This afternoon, you'll find my no-good husband down at Marshall Fields. Every year, he's part of the charity ball there. Dresses up as Santa. Our two kids will be there with him. This year, he's letting them dress up as elves. Gee, Esther, he doesn't sound so bad. The kids get all his love. I get... Just forget it. Find him. Follow him. See where he goes and who he's with. Good day. I'm on it. Anything else, ma'am? Yes, Mr. Davies. Merry Christmas. The Marshall Fields over on State Street was chock-a-block full of people ready to shell out part of their newfound post-war prosperity. <laughs> District Attorney Adam Larson was part of a big Santa's village, rotating St. Nick duties with various city employees in the aid of charity. Flanking Larson, just like Esther had said, were the two little elfin helpers. What do you want for Christmas, young man? Finally, a guy from the planning commission took over and the DA and his boys disappeared behind the giant artificial snow-covered backdrop. It took me a few moments to catch sight of them again. When I did, they were all still in costume, making a beeline out of the store. I walked out of the store behind them. I followed them out to Division Street. Santa was just closing the trunk of a Packard. He then ushered his kids into the backseat of the car and drove off. I got into a taxi cab. Yeah. Where to, Mac? Follow that car. What, the one with Santa? Yep. What the hell did Santa do? Nothing. Yet. Man, you can't trust nobody these days. That's what Mrs. Claus said. I had never been inside the Belden Stratford Hotel before, but sure enough, that's where old Larson went. In the lobby, Santa gestured for his two little elves to sit and wait, and then he went and got a key from the desk clerk and headed for the elevators. A woman who wished she bore a greater resemblance to Veronica Lake came around the corner to meet him. The mistress, I gathered. I couldn't believe it. This guy brings his kids along to his trysts. I took a step towards the elevator door, but was too late. I guess I'd just have to wait for him to come and collect the little ones and... Hey, wait a minute. I turned and the kids were gone. What the Sam Hill was going on? I ran outside. No sign of the kids, so I ducked down an alley behind the hotel, stopped and looked around, finally glancing up. Wait a second. Were my eyes playing tricks on me, or did I see a flash of two little elves climbing into a third-story window from the fire escape? Was there someone else with them? Someone upside down? My eyes traveled from the fire escape to the alley where the Packard was parked, no one in it. Looks like the action was inside the hotel. I took the stairs to the third floor. Down the hall, the two kids were leaving a room, closing the door behind them. I called out, hey! They didn't even stop to acknowledge me. Then, what sounded like a woman's footsteps came up behind me. I turned to look and... Oh! Got punched before I could tell what was happening. Oh! I went down. 
out faster than my dating life after the war. By the time I shook myself back to consciousness, I was all alone. I stumbled down the hall and went in the room the elves had been in. Inside was a nightmare even for me. I can't imagine how old D.A. Adam Larson must have felt. He sat there, calling out. Dear God, dear God, I don't know what happened. Dear God. Larson was down to his skivvies on the bed, his Santa suit strewn in pieces about him, and on the bed, a woman lying dead. The life strangled out of her with a bedsheet around her neck, apparently in the heat of... I couldn't have done this. I couldn't have done this. It was a game she liked to play. I could not have done it, dear God. Maybe he couldn't have done it, but it got done all right. But nothing made any sense. Who were these kids in elf costumes? And who had given me the Jack Johnson on the jaw? I didn't have the answers yet, but I was determined no one was going to get them before me. The police cleared the hotel and I chatted with the authorities on the sidewalk. So, one more time, Davies. You just happened to walk in on the DA after he murders his mistress. I told you, I was tailing him. I got a tip. From who? Detective Peter Culp was an old friend. And by friend, I mean that when a case was still hot, he hates your guts. But after the paperwork is all filed, he'd never say no to a drink. Well? My clients are confidential, Culp. You know that. No, no, no. Not in a murder investigation, they're not. It's a woman, ain't it? Oh, yeah. Maybe keeping a promise means you get something warm beside you in bed for a night or two, right? Geez, you're pathetic, Davies. No argument there. Well, my boys are questioning the DA's wife right now. I told him to bring your name up and see what happens. Nothing's going to happen. Anyway, it's open and shut, isn't it? Larson strangled the mistress. Take the collar, Culp, then go home and enjoy the holidays. You know, you're right, Davies. I figured it for open and shut, too. But there was one thing I couldn't overlook. One thing at the crime scene that got me on edge. Yeah, what's that? You. I thought about my life. It was upsetting not to be trusted. To know that you were part of an equation that added up to no good in most people's minds. I tried to figure out how I ended up in such a position. I decided to blame it on the Cubs. I was taking my chances, but I knew I had to go see Adam Larson's wife, Esther, the woman who had hired me. It wasn't hard to dig up an address for the DA, who lived in a small castle over in Lake Forest. I waited until night set in, after all the police and reporters had left. Then I rang the doorbell. Oh, heavens! Who is it now? It's Don. Don Davies. I need to speak to you, Esther. Esther? Oh, uh, sorry, you're not, uh, I'm sorry, ma'am, I... Need to speak to the lady of the house. Honestly, what are you talking about? I am the lady of the house. You? You're the wife of... District Attorney Larson, yes. How many more times must I be humiliated by you people today? It's bad enough my husband is in jail and that no one will listen to him. I'm confused. What about all the narcotics that were found in his system? The poor man barely knew who I was when I came in to see him. He could drink my husband, but he was not a pill popper. Forgive me, ma'am. Mrs. Larson, I I won't bother you anymore. I imagine this must be hard on you and your children. Children? We don't have any children. Now please leave me alone. Okay, I was officially up the creek. This case had more loose ends than a Hope and Crosby picture. It was four in the afternoon on Christmas Eve, and I didn't feel like going back to the office. So I made a stop at the one-room fleabag apartment I call home. My neighbor, Shirley, a sweet girl who always left my mail outside the door, was doing just that when I arrived. Oh, hello, 
Mr. Davies. Howdy, Shirley. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. You too, Mr. Davies. Got any big plans? Oh, you know me, Shirley. The biggest. <laughs> hey, what about you? Which one of your boyfriends gets you on the holiday? Stop! Oh, I don't mean nothing by it. It's just since the war ended and all, I hear the boys coming to call. Keeping an eye on me, Mr. Davies. Nah, nope. Yep. You're cute. Well, if you must know, I'm going to my parents' place in Oak Park tomorrow. My brother and sister are coming in from Boston. After Christmas dinner, we're all going to the circus. A circus? No kidding. There's a circus in town on... Wait a second. You okay, Mr. Davies? You look far away all of a sudden. But I wasn't that far away at all. Nah, just a few hours back in my memory when Esther had given me the what for in my office and I had asked where she learned moves like that. She said, I come from a circus family. Shirley stared at me as light dawned on Marblehead. I'll be damned. What is it, Mr. Davies? Where's that circus at, Shirley? Do you know? Sure. They're setting up in Lincoln Park right across from the Belden Stratford Hotel. Hotel. <laughs> I gotta go, Shirley. The circus was closed as I crept along the trailers looking for one that might hold Esther Prynne. And then it was there, just as obvious as can be. I remembered that shadow of her that showed up outside my door, that tall, curvaceous creature. She could only be inside the trailer that advertised the snake lady. I put my hand on the doorknob and... Ooh! Took my second hit in as many hours. This time to the stomach, doubling me over faster than a Bob Feller sinking pitch. I looked up and two dwarves stood over me. Esther! Esther, it's him! Come on, Esther, me and Fenton got him good! Esther came out of the trailer toting a pistol. Good evening, Mr. Davies. Hello, Esther. How very nice to meet Santa's little elves. Shut your trap. You're a dead man, private eye. Farley Fenton, back off. But he called Never us. mind. They're strong, aren't they, Mr. Davies? Yeah, but they aren't high enough to have clocked me in the face like whoever came at me back in the hotel. Mm, you're being coy now, Don. Of course you know that was me. So that was also you in the Santa suit. Once I put on the DA's costume, you thought he was me. Right from the time you followed us out of Marshall Fields. But we'd already switched him by then. Yeah, we put him in the trunk of the car. Right. Then you hightailed it out of the lobby, dragged him up the fire escape. And that was the upside-down guy I saw with two of you. Uh, then you dumped him next to his poor dead mistress so full of pills he couldn't remember what happened. Oh, exactly, smart guy. Should we kill him now, Esther? Yeah, let us take care of this creep for you, Esther. My, my, I'm sure Don here is flattered having someone so eager to eliminate him. Mr. Davies, meet my husband, Fenton, and his brother, Farley. Your husband? Far cry from the district attorney, huh? Shut up. Gentlemen, gentlemen, that's enough. Oh, come on, Esther. Let us finish him, Esther. Cool down, you two. Take a break. Go. Fine. Right. Say so. We don't have to like it. Ah, so got them wrapped around your little finger, huh, Esther? And I do mean little. Let me explain something to you, Mr. Davies. Fenton, Farley, all of our friends here at the circus, we have a trust, a love, a loyalty that you freaks in the so-called normal world know nothing about. My husband and his brother may be small, Mr. Davies, but men like you and that idiot DA are puny. You used me. Someone to find Adam Larson in that hotel room? Someone to bring the cops down on him? You were well paid. You could have taken your money and let it be. Hey, I kept my promise. I'm on my own here. I'm touched. But you killed that woman, Esther, the mistress. Tit for tat, Mr. Davies. That's all it was. What the hell are you talking about? Your district attorney, that puny man. He, like most of you, would have done anything to make himself taller in stature. Like 20 years ago, when he was starting out as a defense attorney. 20 years ago? Might as well have been yesterday. 
Our circus came through Joliet. Some of the locals thought it'd be funny to put a scare into the sideshow folks. Just a few more normal folks threatened by anything different. But they went a little too far, hurt some people, set a fire, killed somebody. Killed who? The woman they called Elastic Lady because she was so abnormally tall and thin. She was trapped. Her ten-year-old daughter tried to get her out, but the flames were too hot by then. Oh, no, Esther. That little daughter had to watch her mother die. Um... Sorry. Adam Larson, your current DA, defended those killers in court and he got them all off. They never did a day of jail time. Well, now Adam Larson will rot in jail, protesting his innocence the whole way. Well, he isn't innocent. Esther, if you wanted someone to pay so badly, why didn't you just go after the man who set the fire? Esther looked at me when I asked her that question and said nothing. And that's when I knew she had already killed them. Thank you for keeping your promise, Mr. Davies, for wanting to find things out for yourself. Here, let me help you up. What the hell? Who's shooting? Everybody stay nice and still. I got two officers with me. Oh, God, Culp, she was just reaching to help me up. Ah. Esther, she could be dying, Culp. I'm okay, Mr. Davies. It's just the shoulder. You're not going to lose me. Oh, and those other two, the little ones, we got them as well. So, that's your husband, huh, lady? Yeah, what of it, Culp? I've seen your wife. Oh, keep talking, smart mouth. If it wasn't Christmas, I'd give you the butt of my gun. Don't insult the lady. That's all I'm saying. Thank you, Mr. Davies. As you know, I'm used to it. Well, lady, as you know, you're under arrest. Let's oh. go. Hands behind your back. Cover, boys. Hey, Culp, how'd you find me? Oh, we sent a detail around to your place. Your neighbor, Shirley, said you took off like a bat out of hell for the circus. We came tumbling after. Shirley, huh? Yeah. Oh, and as for the snake lady here, we heard the whole confession. She's going to go away for a long time. Culp? Something tells me she's already been gone for a long time. What does that mean? I forget it. You're too normal to know. Huh? Ain't that right, Esther? Yes, that's right. Thank you for saying so. There's hope for you yet, Mr. Davies. Hope yet. <sighs> it wasn't much a vote of confidence from a sideshow attraction and murderous, but morally bereft people like me take what we can get. It was around nine when I got back to my flea bag. As I reached my hand for my apartment door, another door opened. My neighbor, Shirley's. Oh, Mr. Davies, I'm I'm glad you're all right. You are? Of course. What happened? The cops seemed pretty worked up. Ah, long story. I'm okay, though. But hey, look at you. Nowhere to go this fine Christmas Eve? Nope. What about all those men who came calling? They call. I don't have to answer. Well, I was going to head down to this bar a friend of mine owns. He's got a television. We were going to watch the Christmas Hourglass show. Oh, the one with Edgar Bergen and Peggy Lee? You got it. At a bar, huh? Earlier, somebody said it was going to be me and a bunch of lonely, pitiful... It sounds delightful. Don, let me get my things. Well, what do you know? It was enough to make me bow down and be thankful for God's blessing. As I waited for Shirley, I thought about that famous Carl Sandburg poem, what he said about this town, Chicago. Come and show me another city with lifted heads singing, so proud to be alive and coarse and strong and cunning. Well, that's us all right. That's all of us when we get it right. It's Christmas, 1946, and I'm still trying. Signing off in three, two, one.